Good morning. So good to be with you today. And what a beautiful psalm. Uh, very well read. Thank you, Peter. Um, as we begin to go through this psalm, it is the final of our series in the psalms for Summer Chill. And uh, next week we'll be starting uh, looking at the atonement as we approach Easter. Um, but as Peter mentioned, it is a, definitely a favourite of uh, so many people, this psalm. It's, it's beautiful, the imagery is rich, and you can see David's heart in the middle of it. Well, this psalm begins, I believe, by saying, God knows me. God knows you. When I went to Bible college, I began to learn a whole lot of new words, big words that tried to express something of what God is like. And we talked about uh, the omniscience and the omnipresence of God, how he knows everything and how he's present to everyone and in everything at all times. We talked about God's transcendence and his imminence, how he's greater than and beyond all things and he's present and revealing himself to people. Um, Big words might impress some people and in time they might eventually mean something in the language of my heart. But when we use like words like these, it can almost be like kind of putting God in a box, um, kind of saying, well, you know, I I understand God, I know what God's on about. Um, And it's, it's nice to have some idea of what God is like, but when we try to box him in, then uh, we're heading into dangerous ground. See, there's a big difference between knowing things about God and actually knowing God. Before I came to Perigian to be with you, uh, Joe and I had coffee with Chris and Linda. Uh, we had a chat about what the church is like, Um, We looked at the website, we saw and heard a little about the history of the church and and the church plant here at Parisian and uh, the wider parish at Tawantan and Sunshine. And you probably heard some things about me before I arrived as well. Things like, Brad's married to Joe, they've got three daughters, they've been in ministry on Kangaroo Island, South Australia. Um, But you can really discern very little from the black and white facts on the page. It's when we actually met that we began to truly know each other. And with God, it's similar. Knowing him is about relating to him, being loved by him and loving him in return. The black and white sort of dry facts only get so far and then we must meet God himself. Or Psalm 139, with its beautiful poetry, with the author David's depth of relationship with God on show, it helps us to enter into God's presence in more than just a dry, factual way. And it begins by reminding us that the God whose presence we enter into is the God who knows us. So in verse 1, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. We realise everything we do is known by God, even before we do it. To God, we are like open books, books on display. Verse 2, you know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. God knows where I am, where I've been and where I will be. He understands what refreshes me and what wears me down. 
God knows me, God knows you better than we know ourselves. Verse 3, you discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. God knows my future completely. My going out, my lying down, all of my ways. And verse 4, before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. God knows me so well because he is intimately close. Like a blanket tucked closely around me at night, he holds me in his presence. And then David says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. This brings David to a place of humility. He can't take it all in. And God knows us completely as well. So we might say, God knows me so well that I, I, can, I can hardly handle the depth of it. So Psalm 139 begins by looking at the truth that God knows us largely from a perspective of wonder and awe and amazement at how great God is. But to be known by such a great God also has an element of fear. Uh, Before we got married, Joe and I knew each other quite well. We'd enjoyed many meals together. We met each other's families. We'd been to concerts, to church, to youth group and Bible study together. But I still had a a little, little bit of fear in there before we got married. Uh, What if when Joe sees me, how I am at five o'clock in the morning, what if she doesn't like what she sees? What if she doesn't like the, the tired, grumpy version of me? Uh, What if the unpredictable parts of life come and hit us and I don't handle it very well and I don't live up to her standards or something? Joe knew me at my best and, and we've been through some ups and downs together, but what if when she really knew me, uh, my weaknesses, my failures and everything, um, would those vows that we made at our wedding, would they cover me? For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. God doesn't just know you on the surface. He doesn't just know the version of you that you might present at a job interview or uh, when you're trying to impress people. God doesn't just know you at your best. He knows and he understands you even when you're at your weakest. You're physically, intellectually, emotionally or morally weakest. He knows you at your moments of greatness and your complete mess-ups and failures. And so... As someone who, you know, likes to kind of keep some of my mess-ups and failures to myself, I find this a little bit threatening. Um, if I'm trying to put on a, a good show, uh, if I'm trying to live my life my own way and, uh, you know, thinking, I know what I'm doing, but then God knows what's going on behind the scenes then that's kind of a bit threatening. It's kind of a bit of a threat to my lifestyle, to my reputation, to my priorities, to my existence. So if, um, 
if someone's living in opposition to God, then God's presence can be quite a fearful place. But the solution is not to try and hide the truth from God like Adam and Eve did. The solution is to to give up living my way and allow God to be in charge of my life. If I repent of living my way, then all of a sudden, the fact that God knows me intimately, even my weaknesses and struggles and failings, then it's no longer a threat. It's actually incredibly comforting. When we choose to live for the God who knows us completely, then we have nothing to fear. So when Joe and I got married, uh, turned out she did see me sometimes at 5am and she saw me when I was sleepless and grumpy, when I've been at my worst, poorest and sickest. And now we've been through some stuff together and I've got confidence that she loves me, warts and all. When we live for the God who knows us inside and out, we have nothing to fear. We allow him to deal with the good and the bad within us. And we know that he actually wants what is best for us. We didn't really see it in the uh, Bible on the screen, but the Psalms kind of divided up into four different stanzas. And the second section takes us on a journey to the heavens, to the earth, beneath the earth, under the sea, and finally into the darkness. And the psalmist asks the question, is there anywhere I can flee or hide from God's presence? And so this encourages us to own the truth that God surrounds me. God knows me, God surrounds me. A little while ago, I talked with a bunch of primary age kids about God and the wind. And we brainstormed how God is like and not like the wind. Um, It was encouraging. They said things like, well, the wind can be pretty strong and and God's strong. Uh, The wind is invisible like God is invisible. And the wind, they said, the wind is everywhere like God is everywhere. I think that's pretty good for primary kids. Um, for kids who don't understand space, anyway. I had a bone to pick with them because, in truth, God's present a, a lot more in this universe than the wind is. He's present everywhere, to everyone. Whether they're in the vacuum of space, colonising Mars, or kilometres under the ground in a mine or a cave, flying a plane or standing on the Earth. There's nowhere we can go to flee from the presence of God. In the furthest reaches of space, he's there. In the depths of the earth, he's there. If we fly to the other side of the earth in the fastest jet, he's already there waiting for us. And we can't even hide in the dark of night. To God, darkness and light are just the same. He sees perfectly in either. In Acts chapter 17... Um, after Jesus has died and risen again, um, Paul, the apostle, was in Athens. And he preaches to the Athenians who surrounded themselves with idols. And Paul found a, a point of connection with them because they not only had an idol for every god they could think of, but they also covered all of their bases by having an altar with the inscription to an unknown god. Now, Paul pointed out... Um, this thing that they didn't know 
uh, and, and told them about the true God. And he says, the God who made the world and everything in it, the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives himself every, uh, he, he himself give, self gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach for him and find him, though he's not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As Paul proclaims the only true God in this city of idols, he points out huge differences between the idols which are served by people and the God who serves us. He makes a distinction between man-made idols and everything and everyone that is made by God. He shows that God is a relational God who can be found. And finally, he proclaims the truth of God's proximity to each one of us. Like a baby in the womb of its mother, we live and move and have our being inside of God. So there's nowhere to go. To flee from God. Each one of us can say, God surrounds me. So first, it was God knows me. The second bit, God surrounds me. And the third bit, God made me fearfully and wonderfully. The most amazing medical advances that take place these days catch glimpses of God through what he has made. They reveal the amazing features of our bodies and they give God glory through the way that we are made. God made every part of us. When we produce children, we have the awesome privilege of joining God in creating new life. He works from before the beginning of the new life, setting things perfectly for his perfect plans. He breathes new life into the new being and intricately weaves together the parts, body, soul, spirit into a new human being. It's mind-blowing. It's awesome. I wonder when you experience that feeling of awe. Is it when you consider a child being formed in the womb? Is it when you think about the stars in space? Is it when you watch an amazing athlete or a gymnast perform to the limits of what the human body is capable? Is it when you listen to music, a a symphony coming together with perfection and the beauty overwhelms you? Are you struck with awe, catching your breath at any or all of these times? I sometimes reach a point of awe when I read the Bible or pray or or any of those things that I mention. Sometimes it's when I hear of an incredible scientific discovery about our bodies or, or the world that God's made. And these different things help me to see God deserves to be praised in and for these moments of awe and wonder. the author and the the father of evolution, Charles Darwin, he had these moments of awe. You can read them in his book on the origin of species. And 
the sort of scientific language he uses much of the time only gets so far. And then he appears overcome with awe at, at what he's discovering in this world that God's made. Although he might not put it in those words. Um, I've mentioned before, science done well leads to thinking God's thoughts after him. It's what Johann Kepler said. I believe these amazing discoveries will continue and do continue to point to a fearful and wonderful creator. And as we experience moments of awe and wonder, we are led to praise God. Now the psalmist continues in verse 14 talking about the way God formed him in the secret place. Today we've got x-rays and ultrasounds and two-dimensional and three-dimensional photos and videos of unborn babies. And science textbooks that you might see in a school or university show the first cells as, as, of babies as they divide and, and sort of um, have that amazing moment of, uh, of life beginning. There's a time even when couples don't know that they're pregnant. The parents don't know of the child's existence, and yet God is there all the way through. He wove us together in the depths, hidden from even our parents. Another translation of verses 15 and 16 says, In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. God's plans and thoughts are amazing. And his thoughts and plans for me were complete before anyone even began to consider that there might be a me. Verse 17 and 18 close considering the thoughts of God. They are vast. They are great. The God who made this amazing creation has plans not just for the days formed for me. His plans go on into eternity. And if we continue making amazing scientific discoveries and thinking God's thoughts after him, then we could potentially come to the end of them, although I doubt it. But even there, God is with us. The God who made us fearfully and wonderfully is with us from before we begin to our eternity with him in joy. We are truly known by him and surrounded by him. And we'll know it even more in our eternal life with him. And these wonderful truths lead us to praise God and give him glory. So God knows me, God surrounds me, and God has made me fearfully and wonderfully. And now, in the final section, we think about how God tests us and leads us. In a sense, the earlier part of the psalm uh, has us saturated in God. And now the psalmist is tested. And does he side with the wicked or does he side with God? Well, it's obvious that the psalmist David knows God. But it's still clear that he has a choice. I wonder if you've experienced, like me, sometimes in this world when we get uh, cut off or when someone hurts us or... Um, we have some opposition. We might have a sort of a knee-jerk reaction from time to time. Um, and no, I've never asked God to smite anyone. But, um, you know, <laughs> you might have a knee-jerk reaction of anger against someone and, and feel like an injustice has been done. I need to... Mm. Um, well, 
this psalmist could be having a knee-jerk reaction. Um, but I think considering the, the, the context here, um, when he's seeing the wicked who are an affront to God with their evil, and they exalt themselves against God, then the psalmist in verse 19 says, if only you, God, would slay the wicked. It seems to be him praying for God to deal with the wicked. Uh, Verses 21 and 22 speak of siding with God against the enemies, hating those who hate God, becoming enemies of those who are God's enemies. You know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Um, The psalmist, uh, in another translation, says, I hate them with a perfect hatred. I wonder if you or I have ever hated anything or anyone with a perfect hatred. I think most of us try to avoid hating anything or anyone. But I am reminded of Romans 12 verse 9, which tells us to hate what is evil. Now, a love that doesn't hate evil is not God's love. God's love is just and right. Love that doesn't hate evil is weak and, and a useless love. But a strong love, God's love, actually stands firm against evil. And so the psalmist was siding with God against evil. But even then, he rightly had some hesitance, some humility before God. And so you can see him lower himself at the end. David says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. In other words, God, you know me, you surround me, you made me, you know what is best. And even if I think I know what is best and I want to smite my enemies or something, then test me, correct me. Don't let me be a hypocrite, but let me always come under your correction. And he continues, he says, See if there is any way, any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So he's sort of saying, God, I'm calling other people out on their wickedness. I'm trying to hate evil with a a perfect hatred, but in the end, God, you are the arbiter of what is right. You have the final say in every situation. And Lord... May I always hear your word and follow your ways now and in eternity. This place of humility that David comes to at the end here um, is a, a, a great reminder to us of coming before God in humility ourselves. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We all need to humble ourselves before God and recognise that we don't always live perfectly. That like David in the earlier Psalm uh, 51, um, we need to repent and turn back to God uh, when our ways don't line up with his. And the wonderful news is that Jesus actually has come and he's dealt with that sin in his body on the cross. So when we humble ourselves before God, allowing him to deal with our our sin and our brokenness, then we find healing and forgiveness with him. We have a wonderful God and Saviour in Jesus. Now let me lead us in prayer.
Loving Heavenly Father, you do know us completely. When we consider these things, Lord, we stand in awe of you. We do want to live all of our lives for you. So help us, Lord, to know you and to serve you well. Lord, we praise you for all of your wonderful works. We praise you and magnify your name for all that you've done in Jesus and all that you continue to do. Reveal more of yourself to us and let us rejoice in your glory. You are wonderful, God, and you've made us so well. We can barely begin to fathom your wonders your love on display for us in creation and in Jesus' cross. Lord, it brings us to our knees in awe of you. Lord, like the psalmist, may we hate what is evil and cling to what is good. So God, please make your ways clear to us and lead us in them. I want to close with the Words of a prayer attributed to St. Patrick, the patron saint of Ireland. He says, Christ be with me, Christ within me, Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me, Christ to comfort and restore me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in quiet, Christ in danger. Christ in hearts of all that love me. Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. I bind unto myself today the strong name of the Trinity by invocation of the same, the three in one and one in three, of whom all nature hath creation. Eternal Father, Spirit, Word, praise to the Lord of my salvation. Salvation is of Christ the Lord. Amen.